You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. And not only are we in the middle of Family Day, we're a little more than halfway through Black History Month in this country. Now, it dates back to 1926 stateside. Celebrations of Black History then began in this country soon after. However, it was not officially recognized as Black History Month here until the mid-1990s following a motion introduced by the first black Canadian woman elected to Parliament, Jean Augustine. And every February, Canadians invited to take part in festivities, events to honour the legacy of black Canadians, past and present, share and learn about experiences, contributions, achievements of those of African ancestry. Joining me in studio... Cecil Foster, professor at the State University of New York at Buffalo. I guess we could say U of B, right? University of Buffalo. And just get you to move in uh, a little. Oh, hang on one second. There we go. Now we've got it on. Go ahead, Cecil. I said um, UB. UB. There you go. And in addition to being a scholar, and we'll talk about uh, the book, you're a novelist. Your most recent one, They Called Me George, The Untold Story of Black Train Porters and the Birth of of modern Canada. We'll get to that uh, in a moment, but uh, welcome to you. Thank you. Also in studio here, we have Nia Singh. Good morning. Good morning, or good afternoon, I oh, guess, guess, by now. It yes, it is. We've, we've crossed over. Uh, Toronto lawyer who's dedicated his career to advocating on behalf of those who've been discriminated against, received unfair treatment, and uh, welcome. And finally, on the line, we have Marva Wisdom, Senior Fellow, Monk School, Global Affairs and Public Policy at the U of T. Plus so much more that Marva listing everything you've done and the recognitions you've received for all you've done might actually take us into March. And we're here to talk about Black History Month. So we're, we're going to have to cut short on all the many credits that you have. Bob, you're so very kind. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so no, th- Thank you for joining us. Now, um, before I ask you about one of your endeavors, the Black Experience Project, uh, I'll start with you. We we came to you last, and we'll go with you, and then we'll go around the, the table here. So what about Black History Month in this country? Are are, are we seeing in, in improvements? Is this just being paid lip service, or are you seeing actually this being given more than simply lip service? I see more initiatives from uh, from government agencies, specifically the federal government, and um, and in the past uh, the provincial government. Uh, time will tell with the, this provincial government, and so that is very exciting to note. And certainly, the international decade for people of African descent, I think that's what's driving the recognition uh, that is uh, that is needed. Uh, for people of African descent. It's more intense during the month of February, unfortunately, not unlike what you said at the top. Uh, we have more work to do when it comes to the rest of the other months that are not so cold. Now, you mentioned about the International Decade for People of African Descent. That was uh, announced by the federal government a year ago, yeah. uh, and that was to recognize the the decade, which spans from 2015 to 2024. So we're sort of in it already, but yeah. uh, in terms of the importance of, uh, of that, yeah, you, you think that was important to, to recognize that and to take that step? 
I think that was really important, and it was also important to speak about some of the challenges that um, anti-black racism brings when we're looking to bring the stories of the contributions of African Canadians uh, to the fore, or even in trying to impact on curriculum now, especially at the grade school level. Well, let's. Uh, we have a, a couple here contributing uh, uh, to this city, to this country. Uh, and uh, they're uh, both black gentlemen sitting here with me. And I'd first like to go to you, uh, Cecil. As I mentioned, you're a, you're a professor, uh, U of B, and as far as your, your book. Now, I'm just wondering, what made you decide to, to sit down and say, there's a story here that I just have to tell, I have to share it, and it's very important. And I know one day I'm going to be kicking myself for, for not putting these words down in print and to, to share this with whoever is interested in, in reading it. Why'd you write it? What's it about? What's it about? Does the title tell us a little bit what, the, what it's about? Well, thanks for having me, Bob, and hello to Nia and Marva. Hello, um, Susan. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, good morning. <laughs> well, or afternoon. <laughs> in your introduction, Bob, you um, talk about Jean Augustine and uh, how she brought that motion in the House of Commons to have Black History Month recognized in Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, this book, um, They Call Me George, the, sleeping, the untold story of the Black sleeping car porters and the and the birth of modern Canada takes all of that into consideration because what I'm looking at is how black people help to shape Canada and to make Canada the kind of multicultural society that it is. Before people like Jean Augustine and others were allowed into this country, Canada was primarily a white man's country. And, uh, and for a long time, the only work that was available to most black men was to work as sleeping car porters on trains. And they were poorly paid, if paid at all. They were demeaned, and it wasn't great work. But they had a fighting spirit, and as many of them were leaders in the black community, they got together, and a pivotal time was in 1954, when a group of them, led by a well-known name, now Stan Gizel, and another one, Don Moore, they went to Ottawa, and demanded that the government change its policy, that the government move away from a racist, white-only immigration policy, and that it allowed people in primarily from the British West Indies, but also from India and Pakistan and Ceylon. And this was at a time when the quota of people that were allowed to immigrate to Canada from India was 150 a year, 150 from Pakistan, and 50 from what was then called Sri Lanka, um, um, Ceylon, but which is now Sri Lanka. So they eventually got the government to change that policy. And out of that came people like Jean Augustine, who came as a domestic worker and then ultimately made great contributions to this country. You know, and just so important, uh, and I think also, and we can bring you in, uh, Nia, in the conversation, please, as well, in terms of just how important that was to to open the door and take the stand, which took a lot of guts to yeah. to, to to be able to do that. And you're, you're fighting on behalf of, of those who maybe are afraid or don't know how to express themselves or feel oppressed. 
and they're having a tough go of it, and it's ones like yourself who go to to bat for them. And obviously, that's something that you saw as your calling that you felt comfortable in in doing that. Yes, um, you exactly took the words out of my mouth. That's what I do, and it's because I've seen the ones before me do it. I grew up seeing people like Dudley Laws and Charles Roach stand up for African Canadians when they were being shot and killed in the streets by police. And me as a young teen, I know that I was unsafe because I could be shot and killed anytime. So when I seen other people standing up, I said, it's my duty if I have the skills and the ability to share knowledge or to uh, communicate information from one community to another, it was my duty to do that. So I think we stand on the shoulders of greats, um, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Marcus Garvey, and it goes back and back. And it's important to know history, black history, because without that knowledge, we don't have a sense of purpose. And you see how you've explained, you know, I'm standing up for those who can't speak for themselves. That's only because I know others were doing that for me. Right. And you had ex- to- yeah, you had examples. Exactly. And when our youth are in schools and they don't see any examples of people that look like them who come from the same places as them or even what their history was prior to slavery, then they have a void of understanding who they are. And a simple thing like we're talking about um, the porters in Canada, but many people don't know. One of the first people to bring Europeans to Canada was Matthew da Costa, an African man in the 17th century who spoke multi-languages, Dutch, English, French, Mi'kmaq, Pigeon. And he brought, helped Samuel de Champlain come here because he could speak with the Mi'kmaq and the East Coast. We don't know that. We don't speak about it. I never learned that in school growing up. I only learned it in my later years. That, along with so much other information, really sense, uh, brings a sense of pride to people. And that's why so many young African-Canadian youth walk around with low self-esteem and end up not staying in school, not doing well, or feeling like a victim or, or not standing up for themselves because they don't have that confidence. And uh, Cecil, in, in your book, they, they called me George, Untold Story of Black Train Porters and the Birth of Modern Canada. That's what enough porters pretty much were all called that, right? That's the way they were just a name that they were given. Yes, because it goes back to the ending of slavery in the United States when uh, this entrepreneur by the name of George Pullman decided that he can put these unemployed black men to work. And he created this luxurious service, elite service, um, which offered you head-to-toe catering and uh, you paid a price for it, of course. But um, you got on the train. You didn't have to get off the train to find a hotel. And you lived as if you were in an antebellum great house in the South. And uh, his name was George Pullman. And as a result, the black men who worked on the train were called George's Boys. And then ultimately, the term boy, which, as you know, to call a black man boy is pretty derogative, mm-hmm. um, fell fell from use, and they were all called George. But even then, that too was derogative because it meant that these men did not have individual identities. Uh, Each one of us take pride in what we call ourselves and how we pronounce our names. But these guys were all called George, and and many of them just simply hated it. Okay, on the line, we're going to take a break here. You just heard from uh, Cecil Foster, who's a professor at the University of Buffalo and a novelist as well. We've got Toronto lawyer uh, Nia Singh, and on the line with us, we have Marva Wisdom, uh, senior fellow, Monk School, Global Affairs and Public Policy, U of T, and in brackets, 
so much more. And trust me, uh, if you were to go over her list of accomplishments, no, no, really, this would take us into next month for sure. And I'm not trying to make you blush here, Marva, but uh, I couldn't believe it. I, uh, I just had to stop reading after a while, to be honest with you. So I don't know if I could list them all. I'm Bob Comsick sitting in for Libby Zneimer here on Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. And we'll be back with our guests right after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. And we are talking about Black History Month, which is the month of February. So we've still got another 10 days to go, but a little bit of education. And we'd also <laughs> like some uh, some contributions here, uh, sharing experiences. Give us a call if you have some that you'd care to share that you think are vital to this uh, discussion and uh, some food for thought here on Family Day. 416-360-0740 or toll free if that works better for you. one 866 Four seven forty, Marva Wisdom, you're on the line. We've got uh, Nia Singh, Toronto lawyer, as well in studio here, along with University of Buffalo professor and novelist Cecil Foster. Gentlemen, lady, uh, thank you for for staying with us. Uh, let's let's Marva look a little bit ahead. Uh, maybe look at something that you've recently involved with and how this can maybe make the, the road better to, uh, to travel down as far as the, uh, the project that, uh, that you worked uh, on. Tell us a little bit about the Black Experience Project. Uh, certainly. I'm happy to do that. If I can just very quickly, when Nia spoke of um, those wonderful folks whose shoulders uh, on which we stand, I stand on their shoulders as well. And I, I, I'm really grateful and, and thankful for the work that they've done. And thank you, Nia, for the work that you're doing. I have to put Viola Desmond as part of, uh, we speak very often when we speak about Black History Month, sometimes we connect with um, uh, fights in the United States and, and those folks who have done such great trailblazing work. But our own Viola Desmond, who's now on the $10 bill, and I thank the government of Canada for making that happen. She came uh, long before Rosa Parks, and most people know about Rosa Parks much more so than Viola Desmond. So the rich history of, um, of Canada and of Canadians who have continued to be trailblazers. And, and thank you, Cecil, for that great book that will provide the kind of curriculum information. Hopefully they will incorporate that into the curriculum, you think. Maybe we could start working on that so that folks can learn a little bit more about um, histories. Nia referred to our young people and the challenges that our young people face, not really knowing or understanding their history. And you also spoke, Nia, about the importance of seeing teachers who look like you, who understand your lived experience. Even if they don't look like you, they have an understanding and an empathy toward your lived experience to help to bring out the best in you. And the Black Experience Project in looking at at the lived experiences of the Black community across the GTA, the intention of this is to look at our assets and look at our challenges and provide information and data that policymakers, that individuals, that group and organizations can do uh, to make the change that needs to happen. Uh, we just, my team and I, we just presented to Miller Thompson last week. They live streamed right across their country, the country. Very keen to do more work in it. And we have shown this 
um, to many, many um, groups and organizations, many government agencies, and we see some movement and quotes from the Black Experience Project to help to support the argument being put forward uh, for the type of change that is needed. It was an eight-year study, well, seven-year study, eight for me, and and Veronica's Institute started this and a, a number of other organizations like the Y, the United Way, um, certainly TD was a sponsor. All the regions in the GTA were a part of this as well. Uh, many of our young people, over 50 of our young people, uh, 250 questions at an hour and a half each uh, were asked off, uh, from six different themes, from identity all the way through to community engagement uh, to anti-black racism. And we were really, really thrilled. We're thrilled with the results and we're thrilled with the reception, but we want people to use it and they can find it for free at www.theblackexperienceproject.ca with the accompanying video. And from the time you started until the time you, you concluded the, uh, the research and, you, and your work, do you notice any changes for the better, for the good? Um, I have. We have. And part of the reason why we've seen those kinds of changes is the interest of policymakers and, and governments and the uptick with the report and using it as an opportunity to explore how they can gather more data but look at what is out there now and look at the work that people are doing now, uh, not just the black community, but allies as well. Allyship is so important in this work. Um, and we have seen some changes taking place. Uh, we have seen the indigenous community and the black community work well together. Nia mentioned the Mi'kmaq people from way back when. They worked together for a very long time and faced some parallel issues, especially around when you look at policing and, and justice. And I see more collaboration happening there, and I see more collaboration happening elsewhere with some of the information that we're sharing here. Uh, Nia, are you finding the plight of, of blacks improving? It might be very minuscule, or it might be in some cases, it might be quite obvious and, and large improvements and significant improvements and and not so small uh how are you finding it in terms of your day in and and day out uh in in the courts excuse me Um, i'm finding a very unique dichotomy happening i'm finding people with means um, actually starting to make more gains in the political realm in the business realm educationally but i'm also finding the common more average hard-working people are falling lower and, and faster to the wayside and it has a lot to do with their children and their children's lack of education, inability to stay in school and lack of opportunities for employment because discrimination is very high. So um, a good friend of mine, Louis March, who runs Zero Gun Violence, we were speaking yesterday and he said, it's easier for a young person to get a gun than to get a job. And that's not a catchphrase and it's not a figure of speech. It's an actual reality. So I'm finding that because the community doesn't understand where they stand anymore, because in the 50s and 60s and coming out of the slave trade, there was a a unity and understanding we were separate and, and not equal or not treated equal. 
as we're going forward now there's this illusion that we're in places such as the president of the united states we see uh, the black police chief we see our people represented but the substance of what's happening isn't always there so we've lost um what we're really fighting for and, and i can say i was posting every day on instagram a black history fact and because the likes were so low i stopped doing it and i and i was going to be committed to doing it every day even though i have a heavy schedule but i'm seeing that our thirst for knowledge and our quest for understanding who we are and what we represent is gone. It seems like it's almost gone in the new generation. Um, the el elders are still keeping it alive, and it's because of them we still have a little bit of fight left. <clears throat> but it's important people of my generation and those younger join the fight and keep this going forward. Cecil, do you think in this day and age when we're just bombarded with information, literally every time you blink, there's something new. Isn't it really difficult to to be involved? Like you're saying, you're not you weren't uh, Nia, you were saying you weren't receiving much response when you were, were posting. Right. Because people are off doing other things. Yeah. You know, and it's not sexy. Well, if I post to, a picture right? with Drake, I'd get 50,000 likes. Right. But again, or, or of a girl or something. Right. But not of knowledge. And that's concerning. And as someone, uh, Cecil, with you being in education how are you seeing a change have you have you noticed the changes of that thirst of knowledge from when you started uh, teaching and throughout the years are you finding that they do want to learn young black people do want to I mean you, you can't be that general and say either they do or they don't I realize that but are you, you sensing that more want that education because the impression Nia's leaving is that mm, yes and no not some would rather be uh you know be gangbangers you know i i think there is that thirst for learning but the question then becomes what is the use of the learning um what they're exposed to in the high schools and in the universities what they're learning, does that translate into the jobs that Nia is talking about that are so difficult that Mava is talking about in terms of understanding the black um, livelihood? And yes, Mava, I'm hoping that this book would be adopted as part of the curricular right across the high schools and the universities. Yeah. But I want to say something to my friend Nia that um, not to give in to the despair. Um, and this is one of the things that I hope people who read in the book would see, that at a time when it was very bleak and when most in the black community were marginalized, people like Stan Gazelle and Don Moore and others, they did not give up. They rallied together and they fought and they did not let despair become the marker of the black community. They aspired to great things. They aspired to a society where people of color would be equal to all citizens. And, uh, and, and we know they have had some success, but we know that we, there's still a long way to go because, Bob, when you ask about um, ha has the situation increased, we always have to look at it relatively. Relative to what? If the notion is equality, then we still have a ways to go because ultimately 
equality, equality has to be the watchword. So let's not um, allow despair to get the better of us. Continue the tweeting and continue reaching out. And uh, even if you get one at a time, you're still going to be doing something that is positive. Thank you. And Marvin, we've got to go, but go ahead. No, go ahead. Wrap up. I'll leave the closing words to you. I just wanted to very quickly say that organizations like Federation of Black Canadians, it's a reboot from way back when, Operation Black Vote, um, more black candidates out more than ever. Leadership by Design, it's the weekend, every weekend, parents and children coming out. Um, over a hundred each weekend, each Saturday, just to learn and get ready for university and to finish high school. So there are a lot of great things that are happening out there. We just don't see it in our media, nor do we see it on social media necessarily. And I, I know, Nia, I hear about those experiences that you see. There are also some really awesome things happening out there as well in terms of making um, progress. But again, to Cecil's point, um, to what end? Okay, Ania. Uh, we did it with the family day is, and I asked people to fill it in. I just said, black history in Canada is, how do you do that in a word, right? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> unrepresented. And there you go. Toronto lawyer and uh, Nia Singh. We've got uh, sitting beside him, Cecil Foster, University of, of Buffalo professor, as well as a novelist. The book, again, They Called Me George, The Untold Story of Black Train Porters and the Birth of Modern Canada. And Marva Wisdom. Thank you. Can I Ms. say everything. Ms. everything. At the ROM, please. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. February 27th at the ROM, Canadian Black History Project's Molly Johnson and team um, will be showcasing that for us to tell our stories from across the country. All right. Thank, thank you to all three of you. Thanks. Thank you very much, thank Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. You're wonderful. Thank you, Cecil and Mia. All right. Take care. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 